What a week it has been, everyone. In this episode, we are going to be discussing all things about the Golden Globes and get in a little bit into Iraq. So let's get started, and here we go. Welcome to this episode of the Common Sense Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Matt, and I am so grateful you are joining me for today. There is so much to cover, and I am so excited to sit down with you just for a little bit here and uh, and discuss a little bit of what's going on. And the first thing I'd like to start off with was, or is, I should say, the Golden Globes. Now, I do not normally watch awards shows, and, you know, if you do, great. But uh, over the years here recently, I just, I got sick of them. I used to like to watch them because I do love Hollywood. I do, I love, I love movies, and I enjoy TV shows. So I enjoy the content, um, not necessarily the people that are in the content per se. But uh, but uh, as I was sitting at home the other night, I think it was last Sunday, if I remember correctly, I started to get some notifications on my on my phone about Ricky Gervais and uh, and how he was hosting the Golden Globes and and what was going on and uh, and unfortunately I missed it as it was being broadcast. But I have to tell you that when I went back and listened to his monologue, I was laughing so hard. And I don't know if you've caught it yet, um, but it is classic. And I love the fact that that, uh, Ricky Gervais just roasted and eviscerated Hollywood. And, you know, it was exactly what I, if I could have said to Hollywood in any venue, if I could have said what he said, it, it's, it's, it was like he was speaking for me, and I think he was speaking for millions of Americans out there with what he said with regards to how they feel that when they gather together in this setting and pat themselves on the bla- their back and applaud how great they are and, and how wonderful they are for what they do, that they feel that that is a call to arms, a call to action, if you will, that they have the right to sit there instead of saying thanks for recognizing me for the work I did. No, 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 no. They go from there and then they jump on the whole uh, virtual singling bandwagon of telling us why we as Americans are wrong and how we need to do what they want us to do and we need to believe what they believe. And, and, and honestly, that's why viewership has dropped drastically. Um, recently for these award shows is people don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it. You know, so when I, when I saw this, I just, I, I was so ecstatic. Um, and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. So, you know, I want to play this for you here real quickly so you can hear what was said. If you haven't, hopefully you have, but if you haven't, let's take a listen in here to what, uh, what Ricky had to say to Hollywood. Hello and welcome to the 77th Annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais, thank you. Um, Uh, They all clap. You'll you'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards. They have no idea what's coming yet. I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking, I never did. Um, NBC clearly don't care either, fifth time. So, I mean, Kevin Hart, was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. 
Hello. <laughs> Lucky for me, the Hollywood foreign press can barely speak English, and they've no idea what Twitter is. So I got offered this gig by fax. So let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. We're all going to die soon, and there's no sequel. So, yeah, remember that. Um, but you all look lovely, all doled up. You came here in your limos. I came here in a limo tonight, and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. So, Bazinga. No. Shush. It's her, it's her daughter I feel sorry for, okay? That must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her. And her dad was in Wild Hogs. So, lots of big celebrities here tonight. I mean, legends, icons, yeah? Look, at this table alone, uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. But... <laughs> Baby Yoda. Uh, oh, that's, that's Joe Pesci, sorry. Um, I love you, man, don't have me whacked. Um, but tonight isn't just about the people in front of the camera. In this room are some of the most important TV and film executives in the world. People from every background, but they all have one thing in common. They're all terrified of Ronan Farrow. <laughs> He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Look, talking of all you perverts, it was a big year... It was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes... <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Many talented people of colour were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So, <laughs> fifth time. So, we were going to do an in memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just, no. <laughs> It was mostly white people, and I thought, nah, not on my watch. So, maybe next year. Let's, let's see what happens. No one cares about movies anymore. No one goes to the cinema. No one really watches network TV. Everyone's watching Netflix. This show should just be me coming out going, well done, Netflix, you win everything. Good night. But no, no, we've got to drag it out for three hours. You could binge watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. That, that's a show about a man who wants to kill himself because his wife dies of cancer. And it's still more fun than this, OK? <laughs> Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. Shut up. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. <laughs> you had to make your own way here in your own plane, didn't you? Right. But m seriously, most films are awful. Lazy. Remakes. Sequels. I've heard a rumour that there might be a sequel to Sophie's Choice. I mean, that would just be Meryl Streep going, well, it's got to be this one then. All the best actors have jumped to Netflix and HBO, you know. And the actors who just do Hollywood movies now do fantasy adventure nonsense. They wear masks and capes and really tight costumes. Their job isn't acting anymore. It's going to the gym twice a day and taking steroids, really. Have we got, a, have we got an award for most ripped junkie? No. No point. We know he'd win that. Um, 
Martin Scorsese, the greatest living director, made the news for his controversial comments about the Marvel franchise. He said they're not real cinema and uh, they remind him of theme parks. I agree, although I don't know what he's doing hanging around theme parks. He's not big enough to go on the rides, is he? <laughs> it's tiny. <laughs> right. The Irishman was amazing. It was amazing. Um, that, it was. My fact, my, it was great. Uh, long, but amazing. Um, it wasn't the only epic movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, nearly three hours long. Leonardo DiCaprio attended the premiere, and by the end, his date was too old for him. So, <laughs> even Prince Andrew's like, come on, Leo, mate, you know. You're nearly 50, son. Um, the world got to see James Corden as a fat pussy. <laughs> he was also in the movie Cats, but no one saw that. Um, and the reviews, oh, shocking. I saw one that said, this is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs, right? <laughs> But Dame Judi Dench defended the film, saying it was the role she was born to play, because she... I can't do this next joke. <laughs> because she loves nothing better than plonking herself down on the carpet, lifting her leg and licking her... <laughs> furble, furble. She's old school. Um, they had to bleep out what he said. Time, who cares? <laughs> oh. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb drama, yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god, and... So... It's already three hours long. Right, let's do the first award. The first award... The first award is for best actor in a television series, musical or comedy. To present the award are a couple of actors off the telly. What can I say? <laughs> Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. <clears throat> it, if you didn't see it, you know, obviously those blank spaces were where they, they bleeped him out. Um, but it was so refreshing to see them get completely roasted there by one of their own. And in that last clip there where he talked about, you know, come up, accept your award, don't make a political speech, you know nothing about anything, you don't have any right to talk to people about the real world. So he says, come up, get your, get your trophy, thank your agent, thank your God, and get the f off is what he basically said was um or get the f out i think so anyways <clears throat> it was absolutely refreshing to me as an american and and i hope you enjoyed that as well 
what I found interesting is that uh, these people in Hollywood are just so hypocritical, so hypocritical, and and I, you know it drives me crazy. And in fact, speaking of hypocrisy, I as I was watching that uh, the Gold Globes there, uh, the the recap and whatnot, I thought about back to when President Obama was in office. Big, big difference in Hollywood, guys, if you obviously don't know that. But do you know that uh, there have been some celebrities who don't care for the president? President Trump, that is. Um, they have a little bit of distaste in their in their mouths. And, and in particular, um, you know, there's a couple that have said some pretty, pretty nasty things about him and even threatened his life. Um, which, last I checked, you know, making threats against the president, um, not a good thing. But in case you didn't know... Kathy Griffin, who is someone I detest for her content and, and her attitude, um, actually held up a bloodied uh, Trump head model, you know, and called it performance art. Uh, good old Johnny Depp uh, has stated that he wants to assassinate the president, uh, President Trump. Madonna has wanted to blow up the White House. Uh, Barbara Streisand has posted about the president being stabbed by Nancy Pelosi or how she wishes that would happen. And most recently, good old George Lopez. Uh, he actually offered to assassinate President Trump for only $40 million, which is half of what Iran, the leadership in Iran, has offered for killing him. Now, again, they can say it's free speech, it's jokes, whatever, but what would the reaction be from this woke crowd if we simply inserted President Obama's name into some of these threats? You know, if uh, if someone came across and said, yeah, for $40 million, we'll kill President Obama, or we want the Speaker of the House to stab President Obama, um, you know, they would have a much different tune. And that's what gets me is these people out in Hollywood are so hypocritical, and it drives me crazy. And it's, it's not just Hollywood. Obviously, it's the left in general. Um, the party of inclusion, as they say. But, you know, even even uh, Ricky Gervais told them not to make political speeches, guys. And that's one thing that you need to take away from this. That In that monologue, he said, don't make political speeches. But do you think Hollywood listened to Mr. Ricky Gervais? Absolutely not. In particular, there were two people that felt it was their mission to get up and and tell us just how little we know as Americans. And the first up that I'd like to share with you is Miss Patricia Arquette. Good old Patty. Um, she was awarded the Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role Series, Limited Series, or Motion Picture. So before I get into talking about that, let's listen to what Miss Patty Arquette had to say. We will see a country on the brink of war, the United States of America, a president tweeting out, a threat of 52 bombs, including cultural sites. Young people risking their lives traveling across the world, people not knowing if bombs are going to drop on their kids' heads, and the continent of Australia on fire. So while I love my kids so much, I beg of us all to give them a better world. For our kids and their kids, we have to vote in 2020, and we have to get beg and plead for everyone we know to vote in 2020. Thank you. And I completely agree with her that we do need to vote in 2020. And but that's about that's honestly where my agreement with her ends. You know, she was talking in particular about Iran. You know, and we'll get there soon enough. But um, 
one thing I, I can't stand about this whole virtue signaling from the left is they, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, uh, Miss Arquette made it very clear that that there were, uh, you know, lives, innocent lives. And, you know, I mean, you could tell the tone that she feels towards President Trump. But do you think that she had any problem back in 2016? I think I think it was say it was 2016, when President Obama's administration dropped over 26,171 bombs on seven different countries. You know where was her woke activism back then? She didn't say a thing about that. You know were there not young people traveling across the world back in 2016? Did they and their parents not have to worry about one of those bombs that? were dropped landing on their heads in fact somewhere between 384 and 807 civilians were killed during 563 targeted strikes by president obama okay 384 to 807 i know that's a wide range but they were civilians and they were considered collateral damage under president obama miss arquette where's your outrage about that that should be outrageous. In what you know happened in Iran, we'll talk about it again. Like I said, two people were killed, and they were both terrorists. Okay, and then she does mention the forest fires in in on the continent of Australia, which is horrible. Don't get me wrong, that that's bad. But as far as I know, um, it's come out that like hundreds of people are being arrested for uh, arson. And uh, guess what? It's not global warming that's causing these fires, but actually man that is setting these fires. But again, I could be wrong. I haven't done a ton of research on there, but that's what I've heard recently in the news is that Australia is actually arresting people. So again, you know, this 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 overriding hypocritical theme uh, carries on because because Patricia Arquette wasn't the only one. The next one that got to me was Michelle Williams, and and I have enjoyed some of her films. Don't get me wrong, The Greatest Showman loved it. Um, but again, I loved her performance. I loved the material. What I don't care for is kind of what she had to say. And this was really offensive to, uh, I think, millions of Americans, um, but in particular women. Because when she got up to accept her award for, it was the, the best actress in a limited series, she wasted no time whatsoever in, uh, in, in the speech, basically telling her peers and everyone else watching that she could not have done this. She couldn't have earned this award without killing her baby. And that's right, you know, everyone. She climbed right up on her political acceptance soapbox and told us all about how her ability to kill her unborn child, uh, that she couldn't have performed as an actress in a way that would have won her this award. So, you know, and I'm not going to play her actual speech for you, but what I do want to play for you is a response. Because um, in, in gathering research for the episode today, I came across a, a great little clip um, from uh, Miss Sarah Gonzalez. Uh, she she works for the Blaze, and I'd just like to play for you real quickly her clip here of what she had to say with regards to uh, Michelle Williams. Actress Michelle Williams won a Golden Globe last night for those of you who still care about award shows, and wanted everyone to know in order to get that hunk of metal she was holding, she killed her own baby like some sort of sacrificial lamb. Mm. Couldn't make it up if I tried. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, and not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand, and I wouldn't have been able to do this 
without employing a woman's right to choose. What? Why, why are we clapping? No, no. You're clapping for dead babies, stop. No. To choose when to have my children and with whom. Uh, hold on just a second here. Aside from rape, I'm pretty sure we make that whole with whom decision the moment we decide to pull our pants down and let the guy put his... Okay, all right, all right, I'm sorry. I just thought maybe we were unclear on how women get pregnant these days. I mean, only in Hollywood can you get cheers for telling the crowd that you traded a baby for an award. That a piece of metal is infinitely better than the tiny human life that you created inside you. That the fancy gown and the jewelry that you're wearing is way more important than your own flesh and blood. I mean, damn Hollywood, y'all are messed up. Michelle wasn't done there though. She had a message for all the ladies out there. Women 18 to 118, when it is time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. It's what men have been doing for years. Uh. <laughs> oh my God, it's just like, it's just so beautiful talking about killing our own babies. It's just, it's too amazing, I need a minute. <gasps> no. No, no, Michelle, no. Did you not hear what Ricky Gervais said? If you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. No one cares. No one wants to hear your Amen. We just don't. And can we talk for just one second about how crappy you must feel today if you are Michelle Williams' children? Jeez, I guess we should just like be grateful that mom didn't trade us for that trophy on the mantle. Yay. Thanks, mom. Love you. Could not agree with that one more. She nailed it. So, Miss Sarah Gonzalez, I applaud you for your <clears throat> very astute uh, analysis of Michelle Williams' speech. That, you know, she did all this and... and, and to watch Hollywood clap and cheer about child sacrifice, it just it it just turns my stomach. And as as I was watching that and listening to Patricia Arquette and whatnot, I I thought back to one of my favorite movies because it's kind of funny that I'm pulling this quote from a movie, but it sums up exactly how I feel after listening to. Um, after listening to to some of the speeches, you know Patricia Arquette, Michelle Williams, and some others, this is exactly how I feel uh, afterwards. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Amen. But I will say that there were a couple shining moments in the Golden Globes that I actually did enjoy. And I just want to tell you about one of them. And that was when Mr. Tom Hanks 
when he was awarded the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award. And I will tell you that Tom, and again, I assume his political views are very different from mine, which is fine. I don't have a problem with it because I can respect Tom for not getting up there and lecturing to me about how unintelligent I am or you are. No, he got up there and he very tactfully and with class said thank you for the award. It was absolutely refreshing to see someone in Hollywood do what that whole show's about and just say thank you for recognizing my work. So, you know, I do want to play, I want to play this for you here real quickly. So let's uh, let Tom take it away. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, most of the people in this room, I would, I would pay to see them get their cars washed, so to be up here. And, and can I just say honestly, really, really, can I just be, tell the truth now, can I just see a show of hands? How many people in this room have a clip package that includes the love boat? <laughs> Anybody? Well, you, Charlize? No? Well, you missed out. There you go, Kathy. There you go. And what do we have? Love, exciting, and you climb aboard. Uh, I have a cold um, the size of uh, Merv Griffin's uh, Jeopardy royalties. So uh, forgive me. I've been drinking an awful lot of savagely orange drinks for the last 24 hours, and I'm a little jittery. Um, I, a man is... Sorry. A man is blessed. A man is blessed with a family sitting down front like that. A wife who is fantastic in every way, who has taught me what love is. Five kids who are braver and stronger and wiser than their old man is. And uh, a loving group of people who have put away with me being away months and months and months at a time. Of course, otherwise I wouldn't be standing here if they didn't have to put up with that. So. Uh, I can't tell you how much your love means to me. Uh, so, that's the wife and kids. Um, you know, you're a dope if you don't steal from everybody you have ever worked with. And I had stolen... You know, Tom goes on to talk a lot about, um, you know, different different aspects of being an actor and whatnot, and, and some things. It was really good. If you haven't listened to it, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's a great, a great acceptance speech because one, it was free of political uh, lecturing, like I mentioned. And I truly applaud Tom for his wonderful acknowledgement of the sacrifice his wife and kids have made so that he could make films and done the work that he's done that has provided wonderful entertainment to millions of us all over the world. And so I I applaud Tom Hanks for that because I grew up on a lot of his movies and and have seen his work and he's done phenomenal work and 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 for that I applaud him greatly. So, you know, that really kind of wraps up my coverage of the Golden Globes and what I want to do is I want to take a quick break and when we get back from the break we're going to jump right back into Iran. So everyone, if you are at all concerned about censorship and what is happening on social media and the platforms that are out there that are basically 
you know, shutting down the expression of conservative views thanks to their big brother algorithms on Facebook, Twitter, and the others, you don't have to worry anymore. There are some great alternatives, and I love them because they are giving us, the people, uh, our free speech and our voice back, which is absolutely wonderful. And the first one I want to talk to you about real quickly here is an alternative to Facebook. Yes, there is an alternative to Facebook, and, and if you don't appreciate this, you need to, because there was a day and time when Facebook wasn't the behemoth that it was. There was a time, and the and the, the service I'm talking about is Minds.com, M-I-N-D-S.com. Um, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, and what I love about Minds.com is that no one has to worry about demonetization, censorship, or unfair treatment that we have come to expect from Facebook and the other social networks. You see, Minds offers a fully transparent, privacy-focused platform with no bias, hidden algorithms, or censorship. And if you are a content creator, you can upgrade to a pro account, get paid for your work, morph your channel into a full-blown website with your own subdomain or custom domain, news feed, logo, themes, categories, and a footer. Minds also allows you to leverage the blockchain and crypto payments to eliminate the middleman and maintain autonomy over your revenue streams. So if you're tired of Facebook holding you back, set up your Minds.com account and be sure to subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast channel today. So that's Facebook. Well, what about Twitter? Again, there are great alternatives, guys, because Twitter has the same issues plaguing it that Facebook does. <clears throat> and I, I will, I'll admit, I wasn't always a big Twitter follower or Twitter user. I didn't really understand it, but as I become more engaged with uh, the podcast and, and whatnot, I've actually seen several people that I follow just up and disappear for a time, whether it's a day, two days, a week, I don't know. And then suddenly they're back. It's just like they boom, they're back. And the first thing they come out and say is, hey, I was in Twitter jail. This is wrong. You know, if you've, and, and it's wrong because it's, it's, taking away freedom of speech. And even if I don't agree with what you have to say, I will defend your right to say it because we do have freedom of speech here in America and, and that's awesome. But if you feel the same way that I do when it comes to your freedom of speech, it's time to take back control from the social media realm. And when it comes to Twitter, you can do that with a couple of my favorite apps. One is called Gab Social and the other is Parler. Neither of these apps are official sponsors of the show. Neither is Minds.com, but I love them so much I want to get the message out there. So if you need alternatives to Twitter and Facebook, you know, check these out. But Gab Social and Parler, um, they are great alternatives to, to Twitter, and they give you all the great features of Twitter without the fear of being shut down and shadow banned. Thus far, I found both platforms to be well thought out and a great place to connect with others and to speak your mind. So do me a favor, give one or both of them a shot by downloading them to your phone today. You can actually get them on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And once you've downloaded them to your phone, set up your account and be sure to connect with me by searching for the Common Sense Podcast. All right, everyone, we're going to switch topics here and move over to bum, 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 Iran and what's happened there. And let me start off this segment of the show by telling everyone out there, World War III is not going to happen. And for those that may be concerned, no, the draft is not going to be reinstated. So for every little snowflake millennial out there on the left that can't function without Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever app they're working on, TikTok, whatever it is, 
you can go to sleep peacefully in the basement bedroom of your parents' house tonight and know that when you wake up in the morning, you're not going to be drafted into the military. But aside from a, a little humor there, we really do need to understand what prompted this drone strike because that's what happened. We, 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 we struck someone that was not a good person and we need to understand why President Trump stepped in and did what he did. So let's start out by talking about the target, as I like to call him, Qasem Soleimani. I honestly had never heard of this person uh, prior to what happened, but I have done a little bit of research, and there's some differing of opinions about who Qasem Soleimani is, so let's take a quick look at a couple. Let's uh, start off by hearing what the media has to say about this person. He was a war hero, the commander of Iran's feared Quds Force. Qasem Soleimani was no ordinary general. The U.S. officially classified him as a terrorist, but in Iran, he was a national hero. He's regarded as personally incredibly brave. The troops love him. I was trying to think of somebody, and I was thinking of de Gaulle. A revered figure in Iran and some other places in the Middle East. Smart, charismatic, ruthless, strategic, and bold. His power made Iranians proud. But even many of Soleimani's enemies admitted he was a military genius. Qasem Soleimani was an evil genius. Soleimani was in charge of spreading Iranian influence around the world, and he was extremely good at it. He is the, think of the French Foreign Legion, you know, if you will. By killing Qasem Soleimani, the U.S. has stripped Iran of an inspirational military leader. The crowds are massive and emotional. There are many tears here. Thousands of mourners on the streets in Iran. Symbolic caskets aloft, weeping and chanting, I am Soleimani. The supreme leader of Iran weeping and praying over a coffin draped in the Iraqi flag. It's difficult to convey how revered he is. There was talk in Iran Soleimani might be a future president or perhaps even a supreme leader. I cannot believe that montage that the media praised this man. And... Even me, I'm not a journalist, but I know for a fact Iran is, is the leadership in Iran doesn't let people speak their mind. And in fact, if you don't do what they want you to, they'll kill you people. So when they sit there and say thousands are mourning and they loved him and the soldiers loved him and blah, 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 that's not true. They're under the control of this regime of of cleric lunatics and they're being forced to say these things they're being taught from a young age to to praise the regime regime but you know the media doesn't go in and actually tell you that no 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 they just sit there and they they regurgitate the propaganda that the Iranian regime wants you to hear and that's what they do but if you go out and actually listen to people you know, of either Iranian descent that are here in America that have escaped the regime. It's really interesting what they have to say. And I will tell you that I found one on, of all places, social media. And this is what this young lady had to say. I feel like we're living in the twilight zone, guys. I'm, I'm completely outraged at this notion that the propaganda machine that is the media is glorifying Qasem Soleimani. Do you people know that this man has not only the blood of Americans on his hands, but the blood of 
Iranians, Iraqis, Yemenis, Afghanis. I mean, since when did we start mourning the death of a terrorist? I mean, seriously, I've had like friends on the left, both Iranian and American, um, attack me for echoing the rhetoric of my people. The people in Iran are happy. The people in Iran are happy that this man who was responsible for the slaughter of so many people is gone. Like, where was your outrage last month when the regime slaughtered 1600 kids for peaceful protests? Where's your outrage for the thousands of political prisoners that are in Iran right now? Where was your outrage when the Hashtashabi took over the American embassy and like vandalized it and killed an American contractor? And for the people on the ground, they don't hate America. They don't hate Donald Trump. In fact, there's a lot of trending hashtags right now from Iran on Twitter. Thank you, Trump. We thank you. Thank you for, you know, Soleimani. Thank you. You know, go look for yourselves. And, and people in Iran are happy. And they are giving out, you know, and in the Middle East, it's cultural practice to when something wonderful happens, when there's a marriage or when there's a celebration, you give out cookies, you make cakes. And you should see the videos that are coming out. People are baking cakes. People are giving out cookies in public in the streets because they're happy. You know, I mean, I don't know. Do we do we live in a closed society that we don't know that most people in, you know, in the Middle East are not free? Uh, specifically in Iran, it's an Islamic state. There's no freedom of religion. There's no freedom of speech. There's no freedom of peaceful, uh, you know, protest. And... For anyone who disagrees with the regime, they're arrested, they're jailed, they're tortured, you know, and yeah, there's a lot of video coming out right now about, you know, the, 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 the funeral of Qasem Soleimani. It's so much propaganda, you guys. The regime has been saying death to America for 40 years. They forced us in school to say death to America. I was seven years old. I didn't know what I was saying. And the people that are like saying that right now, they're called the Basiji. They're like, you know, they're getting paid. They're the ones that get paid to kill people on the street. So yeah, they're gonna say death to America, but that's not the people. The majority of the people in the Middle East don't hate America. They don't hate Donald Trump. And I'm probably gonna lose a lot of friends for saying this, but thank you, Mr. Trump, for making a very hard decision and for having the moral courage to do something that probably a lot of world leaders wouldn't have had. And I couldn't agree with that uh, young lady more. Um, it took courage on the part of the president to do what he did and to call the strike. So, you know, I wanted to give you guys as much factual information as I could when it came to talking about Iran. And in preparing for the show, I happened to listen to a really, really, really good interview um, of a, a gentleman by the name of Ken Timmerman. And the interview was conducted by Glenn Beck. Now, I had never heard of Ken before, but in doing a little bit of research, he is a best-selling author who has spent his career investigating the dark side of national security. 
And over the past three decades, he's interviewed dissidents behind the Iron Curtain, covered numerous Middle East wars. He's interviewed suicide bombers, debriefed defectors from Iranian intelligence organizations. And that really caught my eye that he has actually interviewed or debriefed these defectors from Iran and their intelligence organizations. And he's covered the plight of about Christians who have been persecuted for their faith. And back in uh, 2014, he wrote a book entitled Dark Forces, The Truth About What Happened in Benghazi, which totally rips apart the spin and the lies surrounding the September 11th, 2012 attacks that cost four brave Americans their lives. Um, while I've not read the book, I've read a little bit about it, and it's definitely on my reading list, and um, I definitely would recommend you, you check it out, because just what I've learned about it is really awesome. But let's go ahead and let's just uh, take a quick listen to this interview uh, between, <clears throat> excuse me, between uh, Ken and uh, Mr. Beck. Uh, welcome to the program, Ken. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Glenn. You bet. Important topic. Okay. So tell me who this guy is before you get back to what you really discovered uh, in Libya. Tell us just generally who this guy is. Uh, well, he is, uh, as you mentioned, he's as bad as bin Laden. Uh, he is the chief terrorist of the Iranian regime. He runs a whole legion of overseas terror operators called the Quds Force. That means the Jerusalem Force. Uh, their goal is to spread uh, the Iranian ideology and the regime itself to, to foreign countries. So they're present in Lebanon. They're present in Syria. They're present in Yemen. They're present in Iraq, Afghanistan. They're the ones who command terror attacks. They're the ones who were going to blow up the Saudi ambassador in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C., plant a bomb there because they didn't like the guy, take out perhaps 100 people having lunch in the downtown Washington, D.C. This was 2011. Uh, he blew up the Israeli embassies in, uh, in Buenos Aires, uh, killed uh, 86 Jews at a Jewish center there in 1994. That was also one of their operations. He is the worst of the worst. And in addition, he is the best that they've got. So we just took out somebody incredibly important for the regime. Okay. What people don't understand is that the regime, the elected regime, is all hand-selected by the real regime, the, the mullahs and the ayatollah that actually run everything. And this guy did not report to the elected officials. He reported right directly to the ayatollah. Correct. He was his right-hand man. And uh, you see again and again pictures of the two of them together. Uh, he was doing the bidding of the supreme leader. And I can tell you today, Glenn, that the supreme leader himself personally is shaking in his uh, plimsolls. Um, and why do you say that? Well, because he realizes that the U.S. no longer is going to be bound by the diplomatic constraints that have held us back in the past. Uh, there has been a, a kind of taboo, if you wish, on hitting people like Soleimani um, for many, many years. And this is from the State Department. It's from the Pentagon. I'll give you one example. Uh, in 2007, they, um, his people kidnapped five American soldiers in Iraq, in Karbala, and murdered them. Uh, and instead of striking back at Soleimani, we released some of his people that had been arrested in Iraq. Soleimani and the Quds Force were responsible for approximately 600 deaths of U.S. soldiers in Iraq, with uh, especially 
formed, uh, explosively formed penetrators. These are, uh, uh, you know, warheads that are planted in IEDs along the road. Very, very deadly. I've written about this quite a bit. You can see that at KenTimmerman.com. And he, we did nothing. We did not retaliate against Soleimani. So now the Supreme Leader realizes the gloves are off. He could be next. And certainly, for sure, the man who replaces Soleimani, should he conduct similar operations against Americans, he is definitely going to be next. So it's almost as if history is repeating itself in in some ways. Um, under the Obama administration, uh, we had the Benghazi consulate attacked. And then when Iran tries to do it again with a, a new Reagan, if you will, somebody who thinks a little like Reagan, uh, we don't put up with it. We put up with it under uh, um, Barack Obama, and in fact, your reporting shows that that Soleimani was the architect of the Benghazi uh, nightmare. He was indeed, and uh, I know this uh, primarily from Iranian sources, but also from Americans who were who were uh, had access to some of the briefings before the 9/11 attacks and to a very key document, which is in my uh, one of my books on Benghazi called Deception. Uh, this is a Defense Intelligence Agency after-action report uh, delivered to then-director Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, remember, who was uh, mm -hmm. then the, became the national security advisor to President Trump and was going to clean house in the intelligence agencies and, and of the deep state. Well, Flynn asked the entire defense intelligence community, what happened in Benghazi on September 11, 2012? And I specifically want you to tell me what we knew about the Quds Force involvement, that means Soleimani, and the al-Qaeda involvement. The report that came back, which I've published, you can see it at uh, KenTimmerman.com or in my book, Deception. That report came back six pages. The first three pages were on the Quds Force involvement, everything that we knew about them. Everything that we knew about Qasem Soleimani in the Benghazi attacks blanked out, three pages of it. And then the last three pages were about al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda affiliates. And there you see a sentence here, a sentence there. But we knew a lot. The U.S. intelligence community knew a lot. And I've written about that in my books on Benghazi. All right. Um, let's go to the, um, the, the embassy in Baghdad. He was the driving force behind that attack? Absolutely. And, uh, and I think we know pretty clearly by now from what Secretary of State Pompeo has said and the president, the U.S. intelligence community knew it. They knew that Soleimani was behind uh, that. Uh, you know, they were, they were attempting, Glenn, to repeat what happened in Benghazi. Correct. And they thought that they could uh, storm the embassy and that we would just cave and nobody would come. There'd be no reinforcements. No one would come to the rescue. Well, what a difference a president makes. This president immediately sent 100 Marines from Kuwait. They secured the embassy and the attackers dispersed, uh, as opposed to what happened in Benghazi. What do you say about the... I'm just quoting a, a headline here. Millions of angry mourners from all walks of life participate in separal, separate funeral ceremonies held in the southwestern city, blah, 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 of the, uh, of the martyr Soleimani. Uh, well, I don't see them joining the ranks of martyrdom with him. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> we, we've always known the regime is capable of mustering a crowd. 
in many cases, they pay people to come. They, they let them get off work. They oblige government employees to attend these mass rallies to chant death with America. And many times when the, when the cameras pan out or you get somebody from a uh, pro-freedom movement taking a, a, a YouTube video and they post it, you see that uh, it, it, when you, the camera pans out, there's nobody in the square. There's a, there's a tight crowd around the speaker up front, and then there's nobody in the rest of the square. Uh, these are rent-a-mobs. Uh, the people of Iran who are sick and tired of these tyrants who've been governing them for 40 years, an era of 40 years of darkness in Iran, the people of Iran are celebrating. And I know this. I've seen it all over uh, uh, social media. They're very active in social media when the regime does not block the Internet. They've been celebrating the demise of Qasem Soleimani and can't, and can't wait until the rest of the tyrants go with him. Um, people are trying to make Donald Trump look like this was just something that, you know, he's doing because he wanted people not to pay attention to uh, the uh, impeachment which is what a lot of conservatives said about the bombing of the aspirin factory during the, uh, the Monica Lewinsky thing when uh, uh, Bill Clinton was going after Osama bin Laden, who Americans didn't know at the time. Um, but this, uh, you know, I was reading this, and it, it talked about how we have, we've always been following him, but the White House told the Pentagon, I want to know where this guy is 24-7 at all times, Back in May, it was also back in May that um, we we put uh, the Quds Force on and the IR. What is it? The IRG, uh, IRGC uh, put them on uh, the terror watch list for the first time, which he is, you know, a controlling member of. Obviously, um, there was a defection of a very high uh, ranking intelligence officer who. It seems to be like the, uh, a, a, uh, a walking knock list in a way. And he defected in April and brought all kinds of classified documents with him. Is there any connection between his defection and this killing and the, well, the upping of everything in May right after his defection? Very good point that you raise, Glenn, and I really haven't heard anybody else make, connect those dots. Extremely important. You talk about this defector. He was the head of the intelligence unit of the Islamic Republic uh, Revolutionary Guards Corps, uh, and he did come out uh, and, you know, clearly you say a walking knock list. He knew everything that the IRGC and that the Quds Force were doing. Did he give the United States the ability to track Soleimani in real time? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know about—I'm not asking about that. I'm asking, did he bring information, do you believe, that um, proved or opened uh, the eyes of the administration or the Pentagon and was enough evidence to know this guy— we have to watch because he's all over the world, and we may have to take him out. I, I think what happened is that he essentially made it so crystal clear that Soleimani was never going to put down the gloves. He was never going to stop killing our people and that we had to take action. 
I think that really I, I think you're right. I think that tipped the balance. And that, by the way, is when you hear Mike Pompeo. He was interviewed right shortly after that defector came out. And he said, yes, we put uh, Qasem Soleimani uh, back on back on the terror list. He was taken Correct. off. He personally was taken off by Barack Obama uh, at the moment of the Iran deal. So Pompeo said we put him back on the terror list. And some TV interviewer said, well, does that mean that we're going to do the same thing to him that we did to Osama bin Laden? And Pompeo just gives him that icy stare and says he's a terrorist. All right. So let me ask you a final question. Where does this go? Is is Iran and the mullahs and the Ayatollah, are they enough of Twelvers that they believe that they're going to wash the world in blood and this is a good thing for them to retaliate? Or are they in butt uh, saving mode and may strike, but they're not going to really they're not going to have their fingerprints really well known on anything? Well, Glenn, let me tell you, I've thought about that an awful lot, and uh, there's something to be said on both sides. But here's where I come down on this. Look at Ayatollah Khomeini, the founder of the Islamic Republic of Iran. He died at the age of 88, comfortably in his bed of old age. The leaders of this regime, they can be Twelvers, and they can try to send the masses out to martyrdom, but they themselves are going to save their rear ends. They've got airplanes waiting to take them out of the country should the regime start to fall. Uh, I think they're going to save themselves, and I think the, per the person and the people who have replaced Qasem Soleimani are not going to take dramatic action against the United States because they know they're next. And is, um, is this something that uh, we play out, we would be well advised to play out by playing this almost like the collapse of the Soviet Union, tighten sanctions, help the people on the streets, uh, and uh, make sure everybody knows how evil this regime really is. But we don't have to lob any bullets or any men over there. Absolutely not. But And you're right. This is like the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, we can sit back, enjoy it, but help the people of Iran. I think what we ought to be doing, uh, and apparently we now have the capability of doing this, is make sure whenever the regime shuts off the internet that we turn it back on so the people of Iran can communicate to the rest of the world mm. uh, so the regime cannot kill in darkness. Mm. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Kenneth Timmerman, he is the author of many books, one of them, Dark Forces. Uh, you can find him at uh, kentimmerman.com. Uh, it's a great interview there, and uh, I I appreciate what was said there. There was a lot of information, <clears throat> but in particular, um, what I was struck by was uh, the fact that Soleimani, bad, bad, bad dude, responsible for thousands of deaths. In fact, there was a report that in one of the one of the skirmishes that he had with some of the, I believe it was either Iraqi or Iranian people, I'm not sure which one, um, but there was a report that he and his men um, killed a mother in front of her children and their father, and then when the one son would not stop um, kind of protesting or crying or whatever because of what he had just witnessed, they drilled holes in this boy's leg. They took a drill, and they drilled holes in his leg. Tell me this man's not evil, guys. 
he's about as evil as they get. So taking him out was a good, good, good thing. And I think that the the big point you take away beyond that was that the regime in Iran, they've been put on notice. America is no longer embracing an appeasement approach, which was what we had with eight years of President Obama, and even probably a little bit before that under under President Bush. Um, but there's no more appeasement approach when it comes to the relations with them. If they harm or kill Americans, whether it's Iran directly or their surrogates, there will be swift and serious consequences. And the reason you're not hearing this is because this does not fit the left's narrative. The media isn't giving you the facts. They're not reporting on what's really going on over there, and that's why I hope you're you know tuning into this podcast and others like it, because we're going to give you the truth. We're going to give you the facts, whether it's good for Republicans or you know, doesn't matter, and and that's I know a lot of what I say has a lot to what would appear to be on the Republican side of things, but I will call them out just like I'll call the Democrats out. It it's not about right and left, it's about truth, and uh, right now, the the truth is not something that the the left wants to embrace, and you know, I have a real problem with that. I, I really do. So we've listened to a little bit about who Soleimani was. What I'd like to do is give President Trump a chance to let you know kind of what he said. And and that interview with with Ken Timmerman did take place before. Kind of, it was earlier in the week, um, shortly after the after the drone strike. So I wanted to uh, just get a, a brief clip here of what President Trump had to say um, with regards to this following the the drone strike that took out Salawani. As long as I'm President of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. I'm pleased to inform you the American people should be extremely grateful and happy. No Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime. We suffered no casualties. All of our soldiers are safe, and only minimal damage was sustained at our military bases. Our great American forces are prepared for anything. Iran appears to be standing down which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. No American or Iraqi lives were lost because of the precautions taken, the dispersal of forces, and an early warning system that worked very well. I salute the incredible skill and courage of America's men and women in uniform for far too long, all the way back to 1979, to be exact, nations have tolerated Iran's destructive and destabilizing behavior in the Middle East and beyond. Those days are over. Iran has been the leading sponsor of terrorism, and their pursuit of nuclear weapons threatens the civilized world. We will never let that happen. Last week, we took decisive action to stop a ruthless terrorist from threatening American lives. At my direction, the United States military eliminated the world's top terrorist 
Qasem Soleimani. As the head of the Quds Force, Soleimani was personally responsible for some of the absolutely worst atrocities. He trained terrorist armies, including Hezbollah, launching terrorist strikes against civilian targets. He fueled bloody civil wars all across the region. He viciously wounded and murdered thousands of U.S. troops, including the planting of roadside bombs that maim and dismember their victims. Soleimani directed the recent attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq that badly wounded four service members and killed one American, and he orchestrated the violent assault on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. In recent days, he was planning new attacks on American targets, but we stopped him. Soleimani's hands were drenched in both American and Iranian blood. He should have been terminated long ago. By removing Soleimani, we have sent a powerful message to terrorists. If you value your own life, you will not threaten the lives of our people. As we continue to evaluate options in response to Iranian aggression, the United States will immediately impose additional punishing economic sanctions on the Iranian regime. These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. In recent months alone, Iran has seized ships in international waters, fired an unprovoked strike on Saudi Arabia, and shot down two U.S. drones. Iran's hostility substantially increased after the foolish Iran nuclear deal was signed in 2013. And they were given $150 billion, not to mention $1.8 billion in cash. Instead of saying thank you to the United States, they chanted death to America. In fact, they chanted death to America the day the agreement was signed. Then Iran went on a terror spree, funded by the money from the deal, and created hell in Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, and Iraq. The missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration. The regime also greatly tightened the reins on their own country, even recently killing 1,500 people at the many protests that are taking place all throughout Iran. The very defective JCPOA expires shortly anyway and gives Iran a clear and quick path to nuclear breakout. Iran must abandon its nuclear ambitions and end its support for terrorism. The time has come for the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Russia, and China to recognize this reality. They must now break away from the remnants of the Iran deal, or JCPOA. And we must all work together toward making a deal with Iran that makes the world a safer and more peaceful place. We must also make a deal that allows Iran to thrive and prosper and take advantage of its enormous untapped potential. Iran can be a great country 
peace and stability cannot prevail in the Middle East as long as Iran continues to foment violence, unrest, hatred, and war. The civilized world must send a clear and unified message to the Iranian regime. Your campaign of terror, murder, mayhem will not be tolerated any longer. It will not be allowed to go forward. Today, I am going to ask NATO to become much more involved in the Middle East process. Over the last three years, under my leadership, our economy is stronger than ever before, and America has achieved energy independence. These historic accomplishments change our strategic priorities. These are accomplishments that nobody thought were possible. And options in the Middle East became available. We are now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. We are independent, and we do not need Middle East oil. The American military has been completely rebuilt under my administration at a cost of $2.5 trillion. U.S. armed forces are stronger than ever before. Our missiles are big, powerful, accurate, lethal, and fast. Under construction are many hypersonic missiles. The fact that we have this great military and equipment, however, does not mean we have to use it. We do not want to use it. American strength, both military and economic, is the best deterrent. Three months ago, after destroying 100 percent of ISIS and its territorial caliphate, we killed the savage leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi, who was responsible for so much death, including the mass beheadings of Christians, Muslims, and all who stood in his way. He was a monster. Al-Baghdadi was trying again to rebuild the ISIS caliphate and failed. Tens of thousands of ISIS fighters have been killed or captured during my administration. ISIS is a natural enemy of Iran. The destruction of ISIS is good for Iran, and we should work together on this and other shared priorities. Finally, to the people and leaders of Iran, we want you to have a future and a great future, one that you deserve, one of prosperity at home and harmony with the nations of the world. The United States is ready to embrace peace with all who seek it. I want to thank you, and God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely an amazing response there, an amazing press conference. <clears throat> Spoken like a true president, like a patriot, he clearly outlined a couple things that are of note. One, you've been warned, okay? You've been warned if you take out American lives, if you hurt our people, you're, you're going you're gonna to regret it. And I already I mentioned that earlier. On top of that, I love the fact that the, he said there will be consequences if you do these things, but we want peace. And then he outlines 
you know, hey, we've got the strongest military in the world. We've got uh, hypersonic weapons in deployment. Our missiles are accurate, but we don't want to use them. See, President Trump is not a warmonger. He is not out to bathe the world in blood, to, to nation build or anything like that that's been done in the past. He's a patriot, everyone, and he cares about America, and he wants to, like his campaign said, that just infuriates the left. He wants to make America great again, and and in many ways, he has done that. Excuse me. He's done that, and he has improved the economy through his policies. We're energy independent. Oh my gosh, is that not awesome? We don't need the Middle East and their oil. We're no longer beholden to them. We are energy independent. That's huge. That is an amazing accomplishment, and he needs to be applauded for that. And and he talked about, you know, Soleimani, and, and again, kind of relisted some of the things we've already talked about here, the American deaths, the IEDs, the, the fact that he was actually one of the chief planners and the Benghazi attack back in September 11th, 2012, which drove me nuts and millions of other Americans because we were fed the biggest, deepest pile of crap as to why that happened. And we now know that it was it was Baghdad or uh, Soleimani that, that did this. So guys, President Trump handled this, in my opinion, perfectly. And I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot in relation to him, but he did he did good. And <clears throat> sorry, he he handled himself, in my opinion, very very presidential. And you know, there are some people out there that are claiming that we assassinated this man. And I will tell you, first of all, that we didn't assassinate him. He was an enemy combatant, and and if you've listened to this podcast so far, you have seen the facts, you know the reasons that that this was justified in every sense of the word. This man was evil, he had killed thousands and, and hundreds of Americans, and he was an enemy combatant, and we took him out on the battlefield, period. And that was completely uh, justified. And, and let's be honest, you know, we know that he was not an elected official. He didn't report to to the elected officials of Iran, but he actually reported directly to the Supreme Council and the Ayatollah of Iran, which we know that they are a bunch of religious zealots. They don't care about their people, and they don't care about anyone else. All they care about is their power and maintaining it at any cost, even to the tune of, of slaughtering their own citizens. But what was Iran's response? To this, you know, of course, they couldn't just let sleeping dogs lie. They had to do something. So, you know, again, if you follow what happened here, they decided that they were going to fire missiles back at, uh, I believe it was one or two bases of ours in Iraq, Iraq, Iraqi bases that had housed U.S. troops. Thankfully, um, no one was hurt. And uh, what's interesting is, and this again goes to... (laughs) It goes to show what the media does, the mainstream media, and what they what they tell you. But let's uh, let's listen to a, a, a real short clip here of of how MSNBC covered uh, their reaction with the missiles that they fired back to us, back at us. 
We're just getting reports now that a second wave of rocket, launch, rocket attacks have been launched uh, from Iran. The IRGC was saying that Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of this country, was in the control center coordinating these attacks. Uh, this is uh, um, this bit I'm, I'm not sure about, but the Iran state media is claiming that 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack. Now, this is not confirmed. This is just coming from Iranian media. But we have just uh, stepped over the precipice, Chris. Uh, we have entered a very unpredictable time. We have to see what the response is going to be from the United States. That's just as upsetting to me um, for a couple of reasons. One, this reporter was basically spewing Iranian propaganda. Now, he did say it wasn't confirmed, but how would you feel if you were the parent or family member of the U.S. forces serving in Iraq? And some guy gets on there and says that we're being told 30 U.S. service men and women have been killed. It's not confirmed, but we've been told they've been killed by Iranian state television and state, state reporting. They should have never, ever, ever, ever reported that at all without confirmation first that was in my opinion horrible horrible that they would do that but that is again typical for the mainstream media they have a narrative and they want to push that agenda they don't care about the facts they just want to basically get president uh, trump and that's what they're going to do they, they don't care what 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 they have to do to do it and so in my opinion you know it's a shame. It's an absolute shame the way people are responding to this. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, we heard earlier in the clip um, from President Trump, he talked a little bit about kind of the justification for uh, this attack, talking about how uh, Iran had shot down two of our drones. They've seized, seized other countries' uh, oil tankers in international waters. They launched missiles that took out Saudi state-run oil companies, resulting in nearly a 50% of the Saudis' oil production being wiped out, and over 5% of the global daily output was gone because Iran took out the, uh, the, the oil processing plant there in Saudi Arabia. Again, you can see why I'm so grateful that America is energy independent now when it comes to, to oil and natural gas. And then, of course, in December, you know, they attacked... Uh, they attacked U.S. military bases in Iraq. And uh, it was near, I believe it was near Kirkuk in northern Iraq. And thankfully, it was confirmed that, uh, that uh, well, not thankfully, I, I, I was getting ahead of myself. Unfortunately, I should say, unfortunately, um, it was confirmed that several U.S. troops were wounded in that attack and one civilian contractor was killed. And that, again, is where President Trump drew the line. He said, enough is enough. That's it. And that's what's what prompted that strike. And he, he did it. He acted de decisively, and he got the job done. <clears throat> and earlier in the month, actually uh, this month, you know, Iran launched five rockets that narrowly missed uh, Balad Air Base in Iraq, which was also one of the sites that hosted American forces. And we've already mentioned the, the 1,500 protesters that were killed uh, by the regime back in December of 2019. And do you know why they were killed? They were killed because they were protesting over gasoline prices. How many of you people out there have been upset about the rise in gas prices and said something? But yet you don't have to worry about your government killing you 
but in Iran they did. And of those 1,500 protesters, which is horrible, over 400 of them were women who under the current regime in Iran, women are considered second-class citizens. They're, they're not real, not complete people or a complete person. And of those uh, people, 17 teenagers were killed during the protest as well. Then they, dis- then they also, they stormed our embassy in 2019 in December. So was there justification? I think we've made the point very, very, very clear. And <clears throat> it's interesting to me that at the conclusion of this drone strike and like in looking what happened, there was mixed mixed reaction, I guess. And this boggles my mind and it, it screams out to me, where's the common sense? You know, America is divided. We know that. And people want you to, you know, you're either all in on one side or the other. It's a binary choice is what they want you to believe. And we've seen that. I've seen that in, in the reaction to this drone strike. So, you know, I I want to to read an article. In fact, this is very fascinating. I, I just came across this this morning before I sat down to record this. But there's an article, and I will actually link to this on our Facebook page and, and other social media here. But i got to read this to you because it's it's pretty profound. And the title of the article is The Democrats' Strange Reaction to the Death of Qasem Qasem Soleimani, the American Spectator. Now, as I get into this, there's a lot of material here, and I, I want you to be able to read it for yourself. But let me just go ahead and, and kind of hit this with it for you real quickly. It says, on April 18, 1943, during the Solomon Islands campaign in the Pacific, the U.S. Army Air Force shot down the bomber known to be transporting Admiral Air Is- Isoruku Yamamoto, the commander of the combined fleet of the Imperial Japanese Navy. The aircraft went down in flames and all on board died. Planned and executed under the strictest secrecy, Operation Vengeance was launched with the specific purpose of killing Yamamoto. Although the planners were concerned that this targeted assassination might invite retaliation in kind by the Japanese, the American press, public, and political establishment overwhelmingly approved the intentional killing of Yamamoto. He had been the architect of the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor and was deemed to be the Imperial Navy's best, ablest officer. His death was not only well-earned retribution, it also materially advanced the war effort. So, targeted assassination or not, the killing of Yamamoto was considered to be a good thing. So a little bit of a history lesson there for you uh, of something similar that happened in the past. Let's jump forward a few years because it says, Similarly, in 2011, execution of Osama bin Laden by special forces received universal praise from the American public, the media, and both major political parties. Everyone was ecstatic about bin Laden being taken out. And consistent with the goal of that operation, the Obama administration also conducted extensive drone warfare that targeted and killed scores of lower-ranking terrorists, while in many instances collaterally wounding or killing hundreds of non-combatants. You hear that, people on the left? Obama not only killed combatants of war, but he wounded and killed hundreds of non-combatants. Nevertheless, despite this quote-unquote collateral damage, neither the Democrats nor the mainstream media raised any serious criticism or opposition to Obama's lethal drone program. Which brings us to the recent drone strike on Major General Qassam Soleimani of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Force, or the IRGC as it's known, and his top ally in Iraq, militia leader Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis. 
Soleimani commanded the RGC's Quds Force, which is primarily responsible for military and clandestine operations outside of Iran. As reported extensively elsewhere, he was responsible for deployment of Iranian-designed and manufactured IEDs that caused the deaths and wounding of thousands of American military personnel during the Iraq War. Despite Soleimani's bloody record, the drone strike that killed him carried out at the direction of President Trump has been bitterly denounced by Democrat officeholders and their wholly-owned mainstream media subsidiary. To hear them tell it by authorizing the killing of Soleimani without first consulting Congress, Trump has acted illegally and heedlessly and unnecessarily risked all-out war with Iran. While Democrat and media criticism of Trump is hardly news, the context and vehemence of, his, of this latest condemnation raise interesting questions regarding the Democrats' true motives, which, as will be discussed below, appear to be nefarious and corrupt. Imagine that corruption within the, within the Democratic Party. Not that the Republicans are, are you know, innocent. I'm sure there's things there, but we're talking about what we know. The article goes on to say, first, let's consider the extent, exigent circumstances leading up to President Trump's decision to kill Soleimani. Citing anonymous sources within the Iraq, Iraqi Security Service and the Shiite militia commanders, Reuters reports that at the time of his death, Soleimani had instructed al-Muhandis and other powerful militia leaders to step up attacks on U.S. targets in the country using sophisticated new weapons provided by Iran, including Katyusha rockets and shoulder-fired missiles capable of bringing down helicopters. Moreover, the U.S. intelligence community had reason to believe that Soleimani was involved in late-stage planning to strike Americans in multiple countries, including Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. In fact, by the time Soleimani was killed, the initial phases of the planned attacks had already taken place. The Soleimani strike force followed by days <clears throat> by days at 30-plus rocket attacks by Quds Force militia on an Iraqi military base which killed an American civilian contractor and wounded four American servicemen. And the day before Soleimani's death, the same Quds Force militia had assaulted the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Thanks to superior intelligence gathering and analysis, a brief opportunity arose to target and eliminate Soleimani and disrupt his plan of attack. Under those circumstances, time was of the essence, and the president had to promptly order the drone strike and end the threat. Whether such exigent circumstances would have allowed for advance notice to Congress is an open question, and we can talk about this outside of this article uh, with regards to the War Powers Act and things of that nature, but... It goes on to say, nevertheless, the Democrats and their media steno pool have vehemently condemned the president's decision as illegal since he acted without first consulting Congress. Remember earlier when they said that uh, Congress had no problem with uh, what Obama did, but yet now they do? Hmm. Makes you wonder. This criticism is, of course, spe specious, if not outright dishonest, given that no commander-in-chief is required to brief Congress before taking action to protect American military and diplomatic personnel from imminent harm. Moreover, the issue arises as to whether such consultation would have compromised operational security. According to the New York Times, the Obama administration, citing security concerns, decided to notify congressional leaders only after bin Laden had been killed. In the event, without White House knowledge or authorization, then-CIA Director Leon Panetta nevertheless notified selected members of Congress before the raid. <clears throat> Excuse me. The lead-up to the Soleimani strike implicated similar security concerns, albeit ones that dwarfed the risk of exposure that faced the bin Laden raid. In this regard, half of the so-called, quote, gang of eight, end quote, with whom Trump, uh, Trump was 
putatively supposed to consult before taking out Soleimani are congressional Democrats. As such, they hold leadership positions in a political party that has spent the last three years attempting to remove Trump from office. Interesting. We're supposed to consult with them before we take action? Come on, please. After the collapse of the Democrats' Russian collusion hoax and the exposure of the pro-Democrat deep state plot to advance Hillary Clinton's political interests by illegally spying on Trump's presidential campaign, House Democrats nevertheless conducted a (coughs) meretricious and lawless star chamber impeachment of President Trump without alleging or proving a single requisite high crime or misdemeanor. Given this reckless and unhinged record, the Trump administration undoubtedly had to seriously consider whether anyone in the Democrat congressional leadership could be trusted not to undermine the planned Soleimani strike by leaking word of it to their mainstream media partners. Based on the Democrats' never-ending anti-Trump political jihad, the only reasonable conclusion would have been that briefing congressional Democrats about the upcoming drone strike would have resulted in their willingly and gleefully compromising operational security in order to embarrass the president and deny him a victory of any kind. But as bad as all that is, the situation confronting Trump was, in fact, much, much worse. Recall that in July 2015, the Obama administration joined the United Kingdom, France, Russia, and other countries in signing the, quote, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with Iran, or the JCPOA, which you heard President Trump uh, talk about in his, uh, <clears throat> his speech which green-lighted Iran's processing and enrichment of uranium. They were enriching uranium, guys, which is what is used in nuclear warheads. According to the June 8, 2018 Investors Business Daily, President Obama and his officials at the Treasury Department and State Department sold this deal to Congress by claiming that it would be accompanied by a near ban on Iran having any access to the U.S. banking system. Obama and his officials were clear they would work assiduously to freeze out Iran from getting dollars to fund its mischief and mayhem around the world. The IBD noted, The Associated Press puts it this way, As the Treasury and State Department worked behind the scenes to help Iran access the dollar, the message to Congress remained the same. The JCPOA did not allow Iran access to the U.S. financial system. Obama sent a clear message to Congress, if you don't block this nuclear deal, we will bar Iran's access to our financial system. The deal was clear and unequivocal. It was also a lie. Obama lied and so did others in his administration. That's the conclusion of a report by the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Citing the report, IBD went on to say that Obama officials pushed the U.S. Treasury to let Iran convert the equivalent of $5.7 billion of funds held in Oman's Bank of Muscat from reals into dollars and subsequently into euros. This at a time when the State Department was characterizing Iran as the number one terrorist-supporting state on Earth. Every dollar it gets from us has an ultimate use that is highly questionable, which is the reason why the U.S. imposed sanctions in the first place. Recall also that in 2016, under the so-called Iran nuclear deal, the Obama administration delivered to Iran pallets of Swiss francs, euros, and other currencies totaling $1.7 billion and unlocked $150 billion in previously frozen Iranian assets. 
Citing the Washington Times, the IBD reported that some of the $1.7 billion in cash ended up in the hands of terrorist groups such as Hezbollah, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, and Iran's own Quds Force, the Dirty Tricks and Terror branch of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Then, on May 8, 2018, at the direction of President Trump, the United States withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal. In its place, the Trump administration imposed very tough economic sanctions, which have resulted in severe financial pressure on Iran's government and spawned unrest among the Iranian people. Nevertheless, Iran has continued its clandestine terror operations against neighboring countries and threats against America. In a recent interview with the American Enterprise Institute, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo stated flatly that former officials of the Obama administration are continuing to meet with Iranian leaders in an effort to undermine President Trump's Iran policies. I'll be straight with you, Pompeo said. You have folks who served in the previous administration who are telling the Iranian leaders today, just hang on. President Trump will lose in the election in November and will go back to appeasement. America will write you a big check, we'll underwrite your terror campaign around the world, we'll give you a clear pathway to a nuclear weapons system. Just wait till the Trump administration is finished. <clears throat> As cited in the AEI interview, this is not the first time that Pompeo has raised this specter. In September 2018, he specifically criticized former Secretary of State John Kerry for actively undermining U.S. Middle East policy by engaging in secret talks with Iran's foreign minister in which Kerry advised, quote, the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism, end quote, to wait out the Trump administration. According to the AEI, Pompeo's criticism was confirmed by Iran's FARS news agency, which reported in May 2018 that private citizen Kerry had conferred with Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif in an attempt to salvage the nuclear deal. Boy, this is getting interesting, guys. I hope you're following this, and like I said, you'll need to read this when I post it. Accordingly, in addition to the corrupt efforts by the Democrats to remove Trump from office, there is also an ongoing sub-Rosa plot by an out-of-power shadow Obama administration to promote Iran's interests and nuclear ambitions in direct contra-intervention of Trump's administration policy and America's interests. Under these circumstances, President Trump would, had <clears throat> would have had been deranged... Sorry. Under these circumstances, President Trump would had to have been deranged to consult any of the Democrat congressional leadership concerning the conduct of imminent military operations against the Iranian terrorist state. I mean, duh. You can't trust these people. They're, they're operating behind his back, trying to get done what they want, even though he's the president. Against this unbroken record of Democrat per perfidy, how could the president ever have been expected to trust the loyalty, much less the discretion of any congressional Democrat, to keep secret the planned Soleimani strike? Ah, but, as they say in the infomercials, wait, there's more. And this part blew my mind, guys, so I'm going to read this to you. Why, you may ask, is the Obama shadow government continuing its efforts to resurrect the atrocious and inexplicably, inexplicably deleterious Iran nuclear deal? The answer to that question may lie in the following May 8, 2018 tweet by one Raman Gavani, Gavamani, gosh dang, I can't pronounce it, Raymond Gavami, which he can be found uh, at Raymond underscore Gavami, which was made following Trump's withdrawal from the nuclear deal and imposition of trading sanctions. Citing senior advisor to Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif, Gavami's tweet reads in full as follows. H.J. Ansari Zarif's senior advisor, 
if Europeans stop trading with Iran and don't put pressure on U.S., then we will reveal which Western politicians and how much money they had received during nuclear negotiations to make hashtag Iran deal happen. That would be interesting. Wow, what a tweet. Can this be true? Were Western politicians, including members of the Obama administration, paid by Iran to enter into the idiotic and dangerous Iran nuclear deal? Could this also explain why, as found by the Senate Permanent Committee on Investigations, the Obama administration lied to Congress to gain approval of the deal while it worked behind the scenes to allow Iran access to the U.S. financial markets? Could it be that officials of the Obama administration were and continue to be motivated by Iranian payoffs to sell out America? The strike on Soleimani has set in motion a series of threats and counter-threats and raised the possibility of open conflict with Iran. Where this will end, nobody can really predict, but it has already produced results beyond the death of Soleimani and disruption. Sorry, Siri thought she should be speaking up there. So back to the article. The strike on Soleimani has set in motion a series of threats and counter-threats and raised the possibility of open conflict with Iran. Where this will end, nobody can predict, but it has already produced results beyond the death of Soleimani and disruption of Iran's terrorist agenda. Thanks to the strange and vehement Democrat condemnation of President Trump's decision to launch the drone strike, the aftermath of Soleimani's death may well provide the predi- <clears throat> provide the predicate for reexamining the policies of the Obama administration that inexplicably promote the interests of the leading state sponsor of terrorism while undermining American security. <coughs> Excuse me, I am so sorry. I got something in my throat. But as far as uh, explosive yields go, I would say that that article basically was about the, the size of a single Hellfire missile. Holy cow, that is crazy. It looks like there is more yet to be discovered about the Democrats in Iran. But again, this just goes to show you that Washington is a swamp and it needs to be drained. And I'm sure it's a monumental task, but I'll tell you what, President Trump is like a bull in a china shop when it comes to these things and and or t- take out the bull. He's a grenade. And they put they lob that grenade in there and boom, it's gone off and I mean, we're finding out all kinds of stuff. So I would encourage you to go back and read this article uh, for yourself and definitely kind of go through it in a little more detail. But there is some serious, serious uh, stuff going on with this whole thing. Now, that article definitely did talk about a lot. And in particular, it talked about the guess what it is? Hypocrisy of the Democrats when it came to uh, how the bin Laden operation was carried out under Obama and how the targeted strike of Soleimani under Trump was taken out. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the Democratic leadership, it's like a many-headed hydra. And and one of those chief heads is Miss Nancy Pelosi. She is out there. And I can talk for quite some time about my feelings on, on Nancy Pelosi. But... I want to take a listen to one thing that's been driving me crazy this whole week, and that is what she has had to say with regards to 
congressional authority for the president to act in needing to strike. And many Americans have said he what he did was illegal. He didn't consult Congress first. He's not allowed to do this. It's illegal. It's illegal. Da, 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 da. Well, actually, let's take a quick flashback here and listen to Nancy and how what she had to say on something very similar. Good afternoon. I'm proud to be here with the Democratic leadership of the House of Representatives to say hail to the chief. Congratulations to President Obama for his leadership, for his determination, for his commitment of resources, for his making a priority uh, the capture, the apprehension uh, of Osama bin Laden. We congratulate Congress, uh, Congressman, our former colleague, uh, but the director of the CIA, Leon Panetta, who was tasked uh, to achieve this, and the special ops and all the military who played such a great role with such precision that not one American life, life was lost. What a freaking hypocrite, people. Listen to her sitting there singing the praises of President Obama, who did, again, act without congressional authority and permission to go in and take out bin Laden. And don't get me wrong, bin Laden needed to go. He was bad to the core. He was evil. He was a horrible person. So in that instance, I was all for what President Obama did in taking him out. Absolutely right call, right thing to do. But listen to her sing his praises. And talk about how great it was that not one American life was lost. But yet here with President Trump, we have an American civilian that was killed and and uh, troops that were injured. And she doesn't care about it at that point in time. It's not important. The second clip I'm going to play for you real, right, real quickly right here is, again, Nancy Pelosi and being asked a question about presidential authority. Uh, I'm sorry, presidential authority to act in a similar situation. Let's listen to what she has to say with regards to, I think this was a, a constraint in Libya. So here's Nancy once again, in all her glory. So, Madam Speaker, Madam, Madam Leader, you're saying that the president did not need authorization initially and still does not need any authorization from Congress on Libya? Yes. Thank you, Thank you all very much. Very simple answer. You're saying that the president doesn't need authority? Yes, that's what she had to say. And so clearly Nancy and all of her <clears throat> buddies are complete hypocrites on this. And, and there's a great article that you can read uh, that, that, that showcases this. Um, it was uh, from January 9th of 2020 and it's entitled Flashback. Pelosi said Obama did not need authorization to attack Libya. And this article kind of comes out and talks about on the heels of of uh, the decision by President Trump to take out Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. This is what Nancy had to say in particular, quote, We deserve the respect from the administration and that Congress deserves under the Constitution. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said from the House floor, quote, The Constitution of the United States calls that there be cooperation when initiating hostilities, end quote. <laughs> so, basically, after that American contractor was killed by the Iranian-backed militia and the embassy was attacked on New Year's Eve. We know what President Trump did. Oh my gosh, it just drives me crazy. It, it, Nancy Pelosi is just, oh, she drives me crazy. But um, she goes on to say uh, in this article, which again, I'll, I'll post a link to it for you so you can look at it. She said that the administration took this action without the consultation of Congress and without respect for Congress, war powers granted to it by the Constitution. So, clearly, Nancy is a hypocrite. 
um, in every sense of the word, and and so is the rest of of the leadership there. They are just a bunch of political power hungry morons, if you ask me. I, I just I can't I can't stand it. They 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 are the biggest bunch of hypocrites. And speaking of hypocrites, which kind of, I guess is an underlying theme of this whole this whole episode. You know, we can't leave Hollywood, and it's interesting that we started with Hollywood, the Golden Globes, and we're going to kind of wrap things up here shortly, um, talking about Hollywood uh, and the left and uh, and how they continue to, to lecture us. And the person in particular I wanted to, to talk about real quickly, I don't know if anyone follows this person or saw their tweet, but um, there is an actress by the name of Rose McGowan who up until I researched this had no idea what she was famous for outside of, I, I believe she was one of the the two people that brought forward the kind of the launch of the me too movement by uh, forwarding, you know, the, the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. But apparently um, she had to insert her political opinion on Twitter uh, early Friday morning. And this is what she said, quote, dear Iran, the USA has disrespected your country, your flag, your people. 52, 52% of us humbly apologize. We want peace with your nation. We are being held hostage by a terrorist regime. We do not know how to escape. Please do not kill us. End quote. She followed up the tweet with a little uh, a gif of the uh, Iranian emoji flag flying in the breeze. So who is... Uh, Who's Rose McGowan? Well, apparently she was in a TV show called Charmed, which I, I've heard of, but I, I don't know. And I think I think Alyssa Milano was in that, which uh, if if she and Alyssa were in that show together, that, that kind of explains why she's definitely out there. But Rose was not to be dissuaded. Um, she definitely got quite a bit of pushback on Twitter. Uh, and, but being a true Hollywood elite... Uh, that what she believes is is the truth, and she doubled down, and then she went on to say this, that she said, quote, I am not, I do not, or sorry, I do not side with Iran, but I most definitely do not side with the USA. She tweeted, adding, of course Soleimani was an evil man who did evil things, but that at this moment is not the effing point. The United States is morally corrupt and acts illegally. It is only logical to appeal to Iran's pride by apologizing. I'm taking one for the team, end quote. She then went on to call the president, well, how can I say this, um, a phallic head, uh, if I want to keep this podcast clean. And then she finished up by saying that she will never vote for Republicans. Uh, she wants the Democrats to win because uh, we are less likely to die. She says, I'm a conscientious objector to the USA, its policies, lies, corruption, nationalism, racism, and deep misogyny. It is our right and duty as citizens to dissent. And I will say this, she is 100% that it is right uh, as far as her desire to be a conscientious objector, and I defend her right to free speech. But she also needs to understand that speech has consequences in America and that her apparent appeasement approach is what bolstered Iran in the first place into doing the things that they've done. And that's why I don't think most Americans on the left understand. They assume or they believe in their heads that everyone across the world is just like us. They have the same freedoms, the same values, the same ability to speak their mind, and, and they don't. America is amazing in its fact that it is the only country that offers and has some of the freedoms that we do. 
And we can't apply how we live our lives here to the rest of the world, which, you know, it's one reason why I have a problem with nation building uh, that's been done in the past. But we can't, we can't say what we do here is what should be done there. And this appeasement approach that we saw clearly under Obama is what allowed Iran to get bolder and bolder and bolder until we had American casualties. What Iran, what the, the regime understands is strength and force. And, and that's why what President Obama did, again, was what we needed. He stepped up, he took swift, decisive action, and he eliminated the threat. And then he stepped down and he said, we don't want to do this again, guys. Don't push us. But if you do, there will be consequences. So it really, it really, when I saw this tweet by Rose McGowan, I couldn't believe that Americans, American citizens are defending terrorists in 2020. But they are. They are. And it's absolutely, it just drives me crazy. Now, on a little more lighthearted side, I do want to, as we get towards the end of the podcast here, I do want to share with you a couple more things. And recently, um, President Trump was in Toledo, Ohio for a rally uh, for his re-election campaign. And I got to tell you, um, there's a key point of this. This It was a very long speech that he gave, and it, it had a lot of really good points. But in particular, he had some very interesting things to say about a, a couple members of the, the Democratic leadership. And I just want to share this brief clip with you real quickly here. Um, so here's President Trump. So they want me. So, you know, these are split-second decisions. You have to make a decision. So they don't want me to make that decision. They want me to call up, maybe go over there. Let me go over to Congress. Well, come on over to the White House. Let's talk about it. When can you make it? Well, I won't be able to make it today, sir. How about, uh, let's say, in a couple of days? Oh, sure. Come on over. Now, we got a call. We heard where he was. We knew the way he was getting there, and we had to make a decision. We didn't have time to call up Nancy, who is not operating with a full deck. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, they want us to call. Can you imagine calling crooked Adam Schiff? He's so crooked. He's so crooked. Shifty Chef. Say, gee, Adam, how you doing? Listen, we have the world's number one terrorist. Killed thousands and thousands of people. We'd like to set up a meeting so we can discuss his execution. Would, would you be willing to meet? Well, I won't be able to make it this week. Well, you know, he's traveling fast. We got him lined up, Adam. You little pencil neck. <laughs> Nine inches. He buys the smallest shirt collar you can get, and it's loose. Now, come on, Adam. We got to meet faster, Adam. We got him lined up. We got to take this guy out. We're not going to have another shot at him maybe ever again. But, but I can't make it now because I'm trying to impeach Trump. I'm trying to impeach Trump. Even though he did nothing wrong. <laughs> 
All right. So yeah, some funny things are said about uh, Nancy Pelosi and the lack of full a full deck she's playing with, and of course that quote about uh, Adam Schiff just hilarious. And and you know, uh, President Trump is is unlike any other leader we've had here in America. And you know, it was uh, it was predicted. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, uh, Glenn Beck made the comment. Uh, a while back, I, I think it was before President Trump, that, that one day we would get someone that, you know, just an average guy, you know, has a, has a gravy stain on his shirt. He's just, he's just, he's a, he's a, a, a guy that's of the people. He's, he's not the slick, well-groomed, tailored, you know, all buttoned up politician that we've seen for decades in Washington, D.C. And that's who Trump is. That's who Trump is. He doesn't take it. And he hasn't just, he, and I think that's what his appeal is in, in some ways. Americans love to see him push back against the the Washington swamp, the elitists, the leftists, and, and they don't get it. They don't understand it. You know, President Bush just let him walk all over him and didn't say anything, but President Trump doesn't. And I applaud him, guys. So, you know, before I go, there's one last thing I just, I just have to share with you in a, a last little bit of humor here. I don't know if you've heard of the Babylon Bee, but it is a great satirical website. And every day I get uh, notifications of things that they're doing. And, and I encourage you to go check out the Babylon Bee, support them, uh, make a donation. They're fantastic. But they they posted this, uh, and I got this in an email, and it was a picture of a man being pulled over by a police officer. And the caption above it says, Man driving alone in carpool lane informs officer his preferred pronoun is they. <laughs> I just love that. Just it's sweet and simple, and, be, and it just kind of shows the, the 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 logic that's out there in the world today. I I saw that. I laughed. And I thought that and share that with you. So, that, guys, let's wrap things up here. I know this this episode's gone a little bit longer than the ones in the past, but there was just so much to talk about. So, I hope you've enjoyed it. This is all I have for you this week. As always, I really appreciate you tuning in and ask you to subscribe to the podcast if you like what I'm doing. And please, share it with those you know, and be sure to give it a five-star rating on whatever platform you you uh, get it at, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just please help us help me to, to grow this, this show because I think there's a lot of good that can be done with it. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me or leave me comments about the show, an episode, a topic, whatever you want to, I'm on all the major social media platforms. You can always email me at commonsensepodcast at fastmail.com. On Facebook, do a search for the Common Sense Podcast. And on Twitter, you'll have to look for me at commsensepodcast. That's C-O-M Sense Podcast. On Instagram, you can find me at the common.sense.podcast. And then if we go over to the other platforms that I talked about earlier in the show, Minds.com, Parlor, and Gab Social, simply search Common Sense Podcast, and you'll find me there. So please get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. And lastly, please, oh, please remember that in today's world, there is nothing as uncommon as common sense. Until next time, America.